And as I look out the window now, I have never seen so many kids that are under three feet tall. You have tuned in to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. Welcome to 2021. It's a new year and it's time to ask about the state of business at this stage of the pandemic. How did COVID mitigation plans work out over the holiday week? We also welcome New Jersey Representative Josh Gottheimer to break down the latest COVID relief bill passed by Congress and how it will impact mountain resort operators. We'll start the discussion here with SAM publisher, Olivia Rowan. Thank you uh, so much um, for joining us today for our first huddle of 2021. Who knew we would still be doing this in 2021? Um, not sure how we all feel about that, but here we are. So we'll we'll keep going as long as it's uh, a need to kind of connect everybody and share what we're, what we're learning. Um, today, we're going to talk with a group of operators who will share how the peak holiday period went down and how well our COVID mitigation plans during the peak holiday went down and how, um, how well they held up against the tightening restrictions, COVID blowing up, and in some cases, some tough weather conditions. Uh, we're also thrilled to have Congressman um, Gottheimer join us to share some helpful information on the new coronavirus uh, relief bill. Um, and our esteemed panel, I'll run through them, uh, includes Congressman Gottheimer, Joe Hessian, President of Snow Operating, Dan Fuller, President of Bristol Mountain, New York, Kevin Nickel, President of Ontario Snow Sports Association, Brent Tregaskis, President of Eldora Mountain Resort, Colorado, Chris McGinnis and Jim McGinnis, President um, Crystal Mountain Resort in Michigan, and Bob Pettit, GM, Bridger Bowl, Montana. Um, oh. I'm going to start with um, just reading an email that I received from Vern Greco, who's the CEO of Pacific Group Resorts, um, that I think summarizes um, nicely uh, all of the conversations we've had with a lot of you about how um, things are going. And as you know, Pacific Group Resorts, they have um, skiers in several regions. So it's nice to get his perspective because he's um, he's seeing it in the East and the West and, and has a good insight there. So he said the industry's COVID mitigation plans worked well uh, for the most part. And most skiers and riders uh, were willing to do their part. Every area of Pacific Group um, Resorts has a small number of holdouts, but they are outnumbered. Every area has a few people who are outraged. We're not doing more. The surge in demand experienced by many outdoor pursuits this past summer continued on the mountains this winter. Where we have snow, we have strong demand and visitation. People realized season passes were the ticket to access with limited walk-up and day ticket sales. So as a result, sales of season passes and other loyalty products continue regardless of discounts being long gone. Skier days and revenue in all ancillary revenue centers are off significantly. The message, use your car as your day lodge, was successful, perhaps too successful. We could have accommodated many more people at the alternative F&B pop-ups or reconfigured indoor spaces. Adequate staffing is a significant issue in the East, but not a problem out West. Online distribution channels are here to stay, but there has to be an improvement in integration between POS systems, e-com platforms, pickup boxes, and internal scheduling. The PPP funds were transformational. Finally, if we make it to the end of January or mid-February without a forced lockdown, we will finish the season with a little momentum and reason for optimism. And that completes uh, Vern's insights. So thank you, Vern, for sharing those. Um, I think they will they're, they're, we'll dive into talking with a bunch of the operators today who have um, various 
situation similar to Vern's um, that will be interesting to hear from. Let's start with Dan Fuller. So Dan, um, you worked out a solid opening plan, but you said there were still a lot of surprises. Uh, could you share a little bit of what those surprises were? Sure, I think that um, our opening plan was very, very similar to most everybody's. <clears throat> you know, boot up in the parking lot, wear a mask, social distance, try to buy as much as products we can online. Um, obviously our F&B was um, grab and go, limited inside, and uh, we try to stagger all the people arriving. If I look at the areas that um, we didn't really anticipate is, uh, one is really the phones. And, you know, the amount of phone traffic that we have encountered over the last uh, 10 days to two, two weeks is, is so much greater than it's ever been before. So trying to have the adequate number of people that really service the guests through the ticket windows with exchanges and so forth. But on the phones, I think was uh, our biggest shortcoming. <clears throat> Along with that really was... Um, you know, the, you know, we used a tent like many, many do for increasing the size of their rental operations. And I kind of equate it when, uh, when they were out on the boat with Jaws, he came back and said, we need a bigger boat. Well, we needed a bigger tent and uh, could probably be four times as large as it is currently. And really, um, we could use so much more space in the uh, rental operations. But all in all, I think that um, our guests, really, really um, helped join us with, with keeping the um, traffic out of the lodges. So really booting up in the parking lot, it was obviously really communicated well by the industry. And uh, really a lot of people, you know, really uh, accepted that. And uh, it's really kept the people out of our buildings, which has really been, been very, very helpful for us. Um, tell us a bit about um, the, the night skiing surprise. Yeah, I think the, the night skiing surprise has to do with, um, you know, our, our daily business on weekends and holidays. We kind of, we didn't sell any eight-hour tickets during the daytime, so they're all four-hour tickets. So it was kind of like a morning ticket or an afternoon ticket, although we staggered them throughout the entire day. Then we had our nighttime tickets and pass holders. And currently, our twilight season's passes are up 70% over last year which is really staggering for us as far as the number of skiers that are coming. Now, along with that too, our ticket sales at night too. So we're starting to, we're, we're seeing more traffic during the evening hours, let's say after four o'clock than we are during the daytime, which was a, a stark difference from what we've ever seen before. And um, how about F&B? Is it the same that Vern's seeing, which significantly down? Yeah, we're, we're way down. I think we're, according to last year, we're about 38% uh, down from last year. I thought we would anticipate that. Um, I think having just four hour tickets on the weekends, you know, people come in, ski and they go home. And uh, that's different from previous years. And I think, um, you know, although it being down so much, I think we're kind of okay with that. You know, we're kind of dealing with that. We know that there's going to be certain segments of our business that's going to be way down. I think the critical thing is to how do we create a product where people keep coming out and enjoying it and uh, not really having the interaction and the social aspect that we're all used to. And have you had many problems with um, compliance and anti-maskers and any of that business? 
Yeah, I think I think Vern said it very, very well. Um, most of the people are very, very good about it. It's a constant reminder. So we have um, four people that are staged at different areas, you know, at the resort, not just when they come in, but if they come into the lodge or in the lift mazes to constantly remind people to, to put their mask up over their mouth and nose. And uh, most every other comment is, oh, sorry. You know, and yeah. they do it very quickly. And, you know, once in a while we do have, you know, those folks that, you know, will not wear a mask and we just ask them to come back when uh, masks are not, a, not, not have to be worn. And as far as the PPP second time around, um, where is that going to be most helpful to your business? I think, you know, until we see all the guidelines, I think it's going to be very, very helpful for our summer operations. Um, this past summer, um, we got the water park, for instance, uh, all ready to go, and uh, it was confirmed that we were going to be able to open uh, the end of June, and two days before we were ready to open after having everybody hired and all the water in the pools and everything done, uh, we were unable to open for the entire summer. Hmm. So not just not losing the revenue for the summer, but also incurring all the expenses that lead up to it was very difficult. So we hope hope that will help. Um, and can you share, you know, year over year, um, how, despite even with, with F&B and, and ancillary revenue down? Yeah. Year over year, um, this was the best December we have ever had in five years. So that's very, very significant. And I kind of maybe um, uh, mentioned that, but from the fact that before December, we were about 15% down in all our executive seasons past sales. And then it looks like at the end of the month, we're going to be about 15% up. So that's really the part I think a lot of people bought later and they were probably waiting to see, okay, what are the ski areas in New York going to do? Are they going to be able to open? Uh, how much will they be able to open? Because there are so many capacity issues that we had to really work around throughout the fall. We're right now at 50% capacity. Uh, we're able to go to 75% because, but because of the limited terrain and, uh, you know, uh, we only have five or six lifts operating, we've reused it to 50%, which we feel very comfortable with. I'm confident there's a lot of demand. Our beginners program is way up over it is last year. And as I look out the window now, I have never seen so many kids that are under three feet tall. <laughs> I mean, you go over in the, we go over in our beginner slope and there's a lot of very, very, you know, three and four year olds. And wow. I think. Um, I think everybody's thought that beginners are really going to be a part of this year and first timers. And I think that's really coming to fruition. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for sharing. Appreciate it. Joe Hessian of Mountain Creek made the introduction to Congressman Gottheimer, and we were very fortunate to have him and members of his staff join this conversation. A quick editor's note, this conversation took place on January 4th, two days before the Electoral College vote certification and Capitol insurrection. Uh, I'm really excited to have Josh Gottheimer join us here uh, on the call because he's been a great advocate for us in the ski industry, and I, I know that firsthand at Big Snow and Mountain Creek. A little background, uh, Josh just got sworn in for a second term in Congress. The Congress. Uh, he works on three subcommittees, the National Security, Capital Markets, and Diversity and Inclusion, which is a huge topic of our industry, so it's great to have him so aligned with a lot of our values. And he is part, the co-chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus, um, which has really gotten a ton of credit for helping get this last uh, relief package through. Um, most importantly to this conversation though, last Friday, I thought jo Josh told me he was gonna come ski at the mountain. It was a rainy day. I thought to myself, there's no way Josh is gonna show up 
and around 10 a.m., rolling in the parking lot with his daughter to take her skiing on a rainy day was Josh. So he's he's a he's a good fan of our industry, and he's a, he's a great person to have representing our fifth district in New Jersey. So Josh, thanks for being here. Thanks, Joe, uh, and thanks everyone for having me. Uh, it is true that Joe made me show up today. Um, uh, but it wasn't because I was forced to, it's because I love the space. I thought it'd be helpful. And I I really want to do what's most helpful to you here, uh, to take you through a little bit of what was in the package we just passed, uh, at the end of the year, right before, right before, right after Christmas, which as you probably followed, it was touch and go for a while. Uh, we, we worked together, as Joe mentioned, I co-chair a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus. It's uh, 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans in Congress. Uh, we work with a group of senators, uh, that about, about eight of them uh, over there. And our job, what we see our job as is actually governing and trying to find places where we can get stuff done. And I know that sounds crazy, but you guys have to run your, your mountains every day. I feel like we should, have, we should be able to run the government a little more efficiently than we do. And so that's what we're committed to. And we were very, very involved in getting this COVID package done. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons that we um, have to act urgently now. As you know, not not only because so many fellow Americans are sick um, and we've lost so many lives, and we've we've got to make sure that we help as many people as possible on the health front, um, including getting out the vaccine as quickly as humanly possible. Um, but also on the economic side, it's been uh, I know that for for many of you and for so many uh, of our friends and neighbors, it's been a very very tough time economically. And in, in Jersey, we about 10.2 percent unemployment. Um, uh, and 30% of small businesses have shut down already in New Jersey, which is a tough number. I look at the restaurant number, it's, it's about the same or higher of, uh, of how many restaurants have gone out. It's affected so many of our, of our towns. So the question, are we going to, you know, are we going to act or not act? And our feeling was pretty simply, we had to get something done to help really get through this second phase, this spike that we're in right now, and hopefully through the winter months, which are toughest. And I know operating a business the way you do is, is there's a thousand moving parts. Joe's taken me through um, both the indoor slopey runs and the outdoor slope, and and then and also the water park and how tricky it is to to operate everything. And I, I know you all are doing yeoman's work, making it happen so that people can actually experience, get outside, get out of their homes, and do it safely. So I just want to thank you for that and I, how much I appreciate it. Uh, just a couple other quick things. Um, we're, we just, I just got sworn in for my third term yesterday, um, but we're, we are, um, uh, have a few days left of this administration. I'm sure you're following. There's a lot going on this week in Washington. You've probably seen on the news um, going into when we deal with the electors on, uh, on Wednesday. Right now, we, um, we are passing our rules today. We're kind of, we, we, we pass rules of how we operate the Congress and where you operate your businesses. So we passed those rules today, and then we're basically we we then work on some some more procedural things. But then, of course, have a new administration being sworn in on the twentieth. Um, uh, but the but the pieces that will go into effect from this legislation that we just passed will start to happen immediately. Um, we have regs due on the PPP on the second round of PPP and EIDL. I think on the sixth. Um, and that's when they're due back from the SBA telling us all the all the specifics because we, we basically in the legislation gave them a direction for what we said who should get a second round of PPP. But then if you remember last time after the first round, a bunch of regulations then come out. Um, last time it was a complete and total mess. 
Um, it took us some time to get there from with the Treasury and the Small Business Administration. But this time, obviously, we've been, we've been through this once. So whereas we did the CARES package, if you remember last time in, in, uh, in the spring in March, um, we, we then, the SBA then helps develop the rules for what we passed. Um, there was a lot of confusion with the banks in the beginning. I think a lot of those issues have been worked through already. So hopefully this will be a much smoother, much, much smoother process. Um, um, I'm very hopeful about that. Um, and I think we also learned our lessons. We did the last one in a week in a bipartisan way, wrote a bill because it was such an emergency and got it out the door and signed into law. This obviously took longer. Um, we went back and forth quite a bit to get it done. But in, in the process, I think we really are trying to make sure these resources get out the door fast, including, as you know, unemployment dollars of $300 supplemental federal unemployment dollars, a direct check of $600 um, uh, per person up to $2,400 a family. Um, um, and those are, and then there's, we obviously got resources for, for food security, for rental assistance, um, delayed the eviction moratorium uh, a little bit. And the goal overall was to get us really through that first quarter of the year. So if you think of this package as like a short-term package to really, really focus on just getting us through the toughest months, if we're still in the soup, uh, we're gonna have to go back and revisit it and see what else. Part of what didn't get in there was support for state and local governments. You might hear from a lot of your towns talk to you about this, right? That, that they're, they're, they're short on revenue, they're not getting tax revenue in, there's other issues. We had a huge, we went back and forth, something I worked quite a bit on to try to get into the package. It didn't happen for lots of different reasons. You probably focused, it was a big, big disagreement over what kind of liability language that would be agreed to. Some of us were willing to be more flexible about that than others. Um, and it just didn't happen. We, we, uh, so that, that's what I'm hoping if we do another package that would be included in the next, in next, in the next package. Um, let me just tell you about, uh, the package overall was $900 billion. I know there's also some confusion about this. When we voted, we voted on two things at the same time. COVID package, $900 billion, plus the federal budget, basically, right? So then you hear about like, why, why were we voting on things like foreign aid? Because we were literally voting on two different pieces at the same time. They just click them together, you vote one time. Um, in retrospect, that we probably should have, I think, voted separately, um, so there wasn't any confusion, but, but that was the deal. We voted at one time. The COVID relief side, the emergency relief was $900 billion, including $284 billion for the PPP program for the next round. Um, and the way this works is if your small business has experienced a 25% drop in revenue compared to before the pandemic, you can now qualify for a second round of PPP. So even if you took a first round, this is for a yet a second round. You just have to have a 25% drop in revenue. Any quarter to quarter comparison works. So last year to this year, you show that you had a, because for seasonal businesses, this is particularly important. That's why we fought for this. You have to show a drop, if you have a 25% drop in revenue from one year quarter to the next year quarter, um, that, that's how you qualify. You have to have fewer than 300 employees and the business has to be, have been operating before February, 2020. The new round of PPP loans are tax deductible um, uh, and your small business can apply again, even if you've previously applied and received a loan in the first round. There's also the EIDL loans. We did another round of those for those of you, but those are really small businesses that, and small loans. But in case any of you have used an EIDL for any of your programs, um, for any of your businesses. Um, 
And uh, th that's really the major highlight that you are really focused on. Again, there's resources for getting out the vaccine and for broadband and, and uh, other health care related issues. Hi, Congressman. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dave Bird. I'm with the National Ski Areas Association. Thanks. Uh, we're the umbrella trade group based in uh, Lakewood, Colorado. Um, we have over 300 skiers who are members of our group and just want to thank you for this legislation. We were uh, monitoring it very closely at NSA uh, in large part um, for the PPP program, but for some of the other um, uh, critical things that came out in that uh, important legislation. Um, you know, one of the good things about the PPP loan, even though the threshold for eligibility dropped from 500 to 300, um, it does now allow for outdoor dining modifications. And that's the loan uh, proceeds can be used uh, and can be forgiven for the cost of revamping uh, outdoor dining modifications. And that's incredibly going to be beneficial to our skier is, do you know, Congressman, or do we have to wait till the SBA comes out with their guidelines on January 6th? I think that's going to be retroactive to the CARES Act uh, back in March for the first round of PPP loans. Do you know that off the top of your head? We, we did a lot. We did a lot on, um, that's your point, Dave, about the flexibility piece. Yes, it's retroactive. Well, that, that's fantastic news because I know uh, many of our ski areas and our vendors and suppliers uh, will be able to take advantage of that. No, it's great. One of the big things we, we, and I know we lowered it to 300, just to give you a little backdrop when we were negotiating this because I was leading the negotiation on the house side of this. We wanted to put more resource. We were trying to uh, make sure the money got out to the people who needed it most. One of the biggest criticisms, if you remember from the first package, was that people took it, you know, like who run Shake Shack. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of criticism for the, that kind of, of people taking the money who really didn't need it. We were really trying to make sure it went to people who, who you know, actually would be helped. So we, we made it, the businesses smaller. Um, and there was a big debate about how much it could be for. So we settled on 900. You probably followed this over months of like the amount of money so we settled on 900 and then we had to fit a lot of stuff into that. So what we did was we, we, we put more, a lot more flexibility on how the dollars can be used. So you'll see when the regs come out and it's in the legislation too, and I can send this to Joe um, so that Joe, you can get this to everybody. But what we did was we added a lot more flexibility overall in terms of how you could spend the money in terms of payroll versus non-payroll, because um, that was a big issue, but then we, said, so if you have revenue loss and made it smaller business, but we gave a lot more flexibility to the dollars. And I'm hoping that really helps those businesses like you're talking about that really could use that. Um, yep. And Congressman, if you can let your team know, we have a couple specific questions in the chat room. If they have the answers, we would love, um, like oh, okay. someone here, it says under 300 employees, do affiliate companies count towards the 300? Um, it's, it'd be 300 employees for full-time equivalent, similar to how um, it was for the initial round. Um, and another question here in PP1, PPP1, the criteria for the number of employees was somewhat determined by the SIC code, including hospitality. Uh, rather, it was determined by total sales. Sorry, so you're, you're checking to make sure that the, uh, the codes that qualify um, hosp hospitality businesses would still apply to the second round? Yeah. Well, 
Yes, but also the the criteria, because the criteria for hospitality wasn't the same in terms of number of, of employees. The criteria for qualification for hospitality was um, was the company sales. So you actually were allowed, I believe, in PPP one, you were allowed to have more employees, um, but it was a function of the of the uh, enterprise sales. Um, so will so it was sort of like there was a carve out for I think it was sick code seven thousand seven thousand one. I don't believe that was changed. I'm, I'm checking it right now. I believe that should still remain. So yeah, I know that they did uh, some work to make sure that um, you know, certain franchisees wouldn't be, you know, needlessly left out. Um, I'm checking that right now. So let me jump in here, Olivia. What I think Chris is alluding to is the NAICS code, the North American oh, yeah. uh, Industry Classification System. And in the ski industry, there's basically two NAICS codes, one that begins with a 7-1, and then if you have lodging at your ski area, which Chris has at Crystal Mountain, it's, it's a 72110 NAICS code. Right. Um, and that means, Chris, um, if you qualify, you, you get to take out 3.5 times your monthly uh, gross receipts. Um, so it's good news uh, for our small ski areas that have lodging. If, you can, uh, if we can get under that 300 employee threshold, um, and it, that gets to Wes's question, Wes Krieger's question uh, about affiliates, because if if you're a ski area uh, owned by a corporation, you may be able to carve out your ski area separate and apart from other unrelated businesses. So what we'll do, Chris, uh, and, and I told Olivia I'd mention this, NSA is going to host a webinar after the SBA regulations come out, and we're going to invite um, a speaker from uh, the Accountants uh, Trade Association who know this stuff really, really well. Mm -hmm. And we'll dive into that. I don't believe the, the second round of PPP loans, the banks are going to be ready until I want to say uh, January 11th, possibly for the first time uh, to apply for those loans. So the recommendation is have a conversation with your local banker now Tell them that you're anticipating and applying if you think you can be eligible. Thanks for sharing that information. I think that's exactly right about the banks. Um, but some of the changes with flexibility, more operation expenditures will be allowed, more flexibility there like software and cloud computing, supplier costs, property damage costs related to that occurred in 2020 but weren't covered by insurance. That's something that that's new in there, um, uh, which... Um, which we think is which we think is really important, um, uh, and the PPP. So one question I know was sent to me was: Is there help for the added expenses for PPP? Uh, sorry, PPE and adaptive investments that help a PPP loan recipient comply with federal health and safety guidelines? And yes, PPP is now eligible for expenses for PPP loan forgiveness. So that was important because I know that a lot of people had a lot of expenditures there. Yeah. Um, uh, and the employer should also know that the latest relief package extends the pandemic unemployment assistance, the PUA program, because this was brought up, which helps gig workers, the self-employed, and those who have exhausted state, state benefits and extends the timeline an unemployed worker may claim from 39 to 50 weeks. I know that could affect a lot of your workers. Um, it also restores the federal pandemic unemployment compensation supplement for unemployment benefits to $300 a week, as I mentioned. 
uh, ending March 14th. So that's why it's that short-term uh, short focus. Um, the law extends the refundable payroll tax credit for paid sick and family leave, which was also enacted in the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. That's also through March. Um, and, um, and there was a question about the changes to earned income tax credit for companies that someone sent me. Uh, and that's what we're just talking about the ERTC. It's extended through uh, June 30th, 2021. Okay. Um, uh, it was expanded for 2021 by increasing the amount of the tax credit from 50% to 70% to 70 of qualified wages paid to an employee up to $10,000 per quarter and expands business eligibility by reducing the threshold for the decline in revenue to qualify as an eligible employer from 50% to 20%. I'm sure Dave can give you more information on that. Um, um, it, that's, it, that's a big issue. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for trying yeah. to keep people safe while you're doing it. I think people really need this outlet. I know I do. Um, that's why, um, you know, I, I will, I'll be on Joe's mountain, but hopefully I can visit some of your other places and say hi. Um, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for what you do again. Stay safe and stay healthy. I hope you have a happy new year. We're going to get through this, everyone. Right. We're, clo we're close. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, so much, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, John. Great. Um, so now we're going to jump back to hearing from a few more operators about um, how uh, the holiday peak week um, went um, with all of our COVID mitigation plans and what they're seeing and experiencing. Um, we're going to jump to uh, Bob Pettit, who's the GM at Bridger Bowl, Montana. Um, Bob, for, for background, you just opened two weeks ago, I think you said. Um, weather has not been great for you, um, and that was why you were open much later. Um, you had about a third of your terrain open that you normally would, um, but that, that actually helped with limiting your capacity um, and creating a more controlled open for you. Um, you also had some unexpected issues with snowmaking, um, just because that's 2020 and how it's rolling for folks. And you had some, had some issues with some anti-maskers. So, um, and and then and then you also worked with SE Group uh, on your capacity management plan. So, tell us a little bit about um, how the capacity management plans are going and what are some of the issues that you're encountering. Um. Well, back in January, we decided to go with an RFID ticket system, um, and thank God we did because we couldn't have done what we've done. Um, we've instituted a reservation system for pass holders and uh, effectively for ticket purchasers. In you know, along the, along with that, um, we have run into a lot of issues with the locals who are not happy about having to make a reservation to come ski at their ski area. Um, we generally sell about 12,000 season passes and uh, you know the Bozeman market is about 70,000 people so we we have pretty good we have a pretty good tie of the market in the, in the local skier um, numbers they don't like making reservations and they've let us know that for two and a half weeks and the comment about uh, um, phone traffic was spot on I I can take the the getting yelled at I don't really you know it's it, I'm not sleeping well, like most of you, but uh, when they're yelling at my employees over, you know, being mad because they couldn't get a reservation for when we have uh, 15 inches of snow, it just seems ridiculous. What the big thing for me, what the reservation system did is it basically created a toilet paper situation. It's panic buying. Every time we open up at two o'clock, 
everybody tries to go on, we'll have eight or 10,000 people trying to get a reservation when we're at, you know, 750 open spots. So unlike the local grocery store where you can't go yell at the GM very easy because you didn't get your toilet paper, they're, they're yelling at us on a daily basis because, you know, we're not allowing them to come up on their pass. It's definitely gotten better. We're, we're up over 3,000 people, which is still under the um, SE group number that we computed out at about 3,500 to be comfortable with the lift carrying changes and the building what changes. What would your normal day uh, we, The last week we were seeing 5,000 to 5,500 every day, um, but we, we were throttled back to 3,000 and generally 3,000 season pass holders not season ticket or not uh, ticket purchasers. We're running at about 80% pass holder, 20% ticket. So essentially I'm giving away $30,000 a day by being open. And, you know, we're going to be three and a half million dollars in the hole just by opening to the community. And when we talk to the community that way, they settle down. Um, they understand why we're doing it. They know that on a big powder day, we're 15 miles from town, we'll have 5,000 people show up. And for the most part, most people don't want to ski with 5,000 people in a you know, 2,000 acre ski area. That seems pretty crowded for Montana. So uh, we've learned a lot of lessons. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I reached out to you after I saw a post on social and, and, it, and it was a letter, and, and I'll use the word pleading with guests, where you said, please bear with us. It's our first pandemic. We are pleading with you to be kind um, to our staff um, who are your neighbors, family, and friends. We are um, trying our best to provide skiing during a stressful time. All we ask is your patience, understanding, kindness, and support. So that's those are some strong, not mincing your words. What what brought that about? Um, that was the phone traffic. The, the people upset they weren't getting reservations or the reservation system wasn't working as they thought it should work. Um, you know, it's a learning process. We've been at it. Let's see, as tomorrow will be 20 days with making reservations. Um, it's definitely streamlined. It's definitely better. Um, my big fear now is we have a college student population coming back in a week. They haven't been here since we opened. So I have a whole new crowd of people that are going to decide they got to, you know, try to grab every reservation they can every roll of toilet paper they can and you know they don't necessarily cancel it in a way that other people can get here you also you also have a change um in politician which will do you think that will impact um things yeah we're going we're going from a purple state to a very very red state all of a sudden and uh the new governor is being sworn in today he's already said he's going to pull the mask mandate in the state and for me that's that's just going to complicate my job because we're sticking with the mask mandate. Um, our local Gallatin County City Health Department is sticking with the mask mandate. That gives me a little bit more standing than than I would have if they pulled. Um, but it's it's going to make it tougher. Um, we haven't had a lot of anti-maskers. We haven't had a lot of problems with it. We've only had to talk to people, and all of a sudden they can find them in their pocket. Um, <laughs> at the same time we're spending a ton of money on extra people to stand in lift lines like you all are doing the same thing you know yeah. pull up the mask pull up the mask move you know yeah so it, it's been a very interesting year let's just put it that way and then as you mentioned our snowmaking pond decided to to go uh leak through its um its normal summer drain pipe 
and so we've we've lost any snowmaking ability, and we're skiing on 21 inches of great snow for Montana. <laughs> <laughs> we've actually been a very very lucky. We got actually got a rainstorm, which normally isn't a good thing in Montana in, in late February, early December, and that solidified that 15 inches, and we're skiing on that on the entire mountain. We have the entire yeah. mountain open. But it's a extreme. I don't know if anybody's ever skied Bridgeable, but we're basically a two and a half mile ridge line of, of what would be called Class A avalanche terrain that we have to mitigate every day before we open up the lower mountain. And uh, it's very complicated this year. It's the worst snow structure since I've been around right. by far. We've had two two skier incidents in the backcountry. Uh, south of the ski area in the last two weeks, uh, the only two people who have gone out there have both set off 1,500 foot slides. Wow. So it's not good. And you know, what we do in inbounds costs us generally a fifth of our season pass revenue just goes to patrol and avalanche mitigation at the ski area. So it's 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 a high consequence, high cost. Consequently, I'm spending $30,000 a day just being open so that people can yell at me they don't like the reservation system. So so that's, you know, and it's tough because we had, you know, Dan that has, you know, a, a lot of wins um, despite it all. And, and you're, you know, a story that is similar to a lot of others where there's just an unsurmountable amount of challenges um that you can't control. So I thank you to share that with us and and uh we're all rooting for you that you get some snow and your snowmaking works out and and uh yeah so thanks well, I, I will say we're very lucky we have a like i said we have a huge um skiing contingent in bozeman we've been able to bank money for about the last 10 years so we're just pulling money out of the bank to be open um it just defers other things we want to do down the road a little bit farther we're also a nonprofit, so we're a 501c4 we can't do the PPP because they're specifically not in allowed in there. So it's a good thing we had money in the bank because um, I couldn't even put in for it if I wanted to. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bob, for being on the call and sharing with us. Um, we're going to switch gears over to Brent Tregaskis, who's the president of Eldora Mountain in Colorado. Um, Brent, you have also had uh, a tough stretch of weather which delayed your opening and and um and so you started a little bit later but you said that that wasn't such a bad thing during a pandemic because it allowed you a little extra time to get your opening plans in order and um, so between opening a little bit later than normal um and then you have um you talked about a little bit of your pinch points being in rental um and um and then the parking system. So with all those things, give us, you know, what, what were the hits and what were the misses for you um, this past, during your busy peak period? Okay, well, I'll uh, try to go through it real quick and be, I'm the eternal optimist, so I'm only gonna say positive things. Because <laughs> uh, uh, listen to, to Bob's thing, that's a little scary what he's been through. So hats off to you and good luck. Yeah. Um, we're, doing, we're doing well at Eldora, we're in Colorado, uh, we're part of Powder. So we implemented a parking system for reservations through the whole company. And frankly, it's gone very, very well. We did a few things unusual at Eldora that, that most places did not do where we have four arrival times. So we, ha we have a window, you can arrive at 8 a.m., you can arrive at 10 a.m., you can arrive at 12.30, 
You can arrive, arrive as late as 1.30 in the afternoon. And frankly, what it's done is really gotten us away from, from a Saturday at Eldora the last five years has just been slammed. If you didn't get in by 9.30, you didn't get a parking spot and we had limited parking. So it's actually been a really good thing for us. And yes, we took some arrows early on on the parking reservation, but now it's uh, mellowed out quite a bit and we've been able to open every lift. So we have, uh, other than Saturdays or some peak days, we've actually had capacity and uh, we've, we've kind of held a little bit of inventory and we release some almost daily, just a, a few every day to kind of keep people happy and, uh, and fill in as we've been able to open new terrain. So we're living on snowmaking. We have not had hardly any natural snow. We probably had less than 20 inches of natural snow all year. So we're skiing only on man-made snow and no run is open without it. So it's, it's then been that thin. Um, I think to your point, Olivia, we did open late by design. Um, so we opened about three weeks later than we did a year ago, but that was in the plan and in the budget. And that was uh, a matter of a lot of different factors, but we had to get approval through, through the state in order to submit an operating plan and getting that through the county of Boulder, which is challenging, uh, is, uh, was a task in its own right. And then the state beyond, behind that. So that's uh that's going well i think like you said our 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 winds are we've really kept lift lines down to about 10 minutes we're a we're a resort that often has around 5000 people on a busy day and we've been operating more like 3000 and we've been and we did go through the se groups model and had that modeled out at about 3800 but we've purposely because of the rental shop and the limitation on food and beverage and the weather we've had we have been operating only selling a max of around 3,000. And frankly, our customer now that we've been in business for several weeks is very complimentary in general. And most of the negative uh, sediment has gone away. I've had people tell me how great they think it is. And uh, we may very well keep a, some kind of a parking system uh, going into the future. So I think that's a win. Um, rentals has been probably our big bugaboo in the process and a lot of no-shows. We do have a lot of people that make a reservation, therefore taking one away from somebody else and then no-show. So we've had to implement some consequences and basically have a one, two, three strikes and you're out. And uh, you know, the one just a nice note says, hey, you looks like Olivia, you missed your reservation. Please don't do that again or we'll take away your next reservation you have. And people can make 14 reservations in our system. And then if you do it, a a third time you're we actually take all your reservations away and you have to go back and and make reservations again and good luck getting one on a saturday morning mm -hmm. so uh, that has actually really cut down on the no-show rate so that's going well um i will say another thing we've done it that's working well is we've hired out of the ski and ride school we hired about a dozen what we call ambassadors it's a position we never had to have before we have people monitoring all the, the doors of the lodges and only allowing a certain amount of people to come in because that's just how we've had to operate under our COVID guideline approved by the state and the county. So you take our rental shop with employees, we can only have 25 people in a building that's massive. And so that's really kept our numbers down. It, the mountain could handle the 3,800 that, that a SE group says you could have, but our other facilities can't. And on a bad weather day with no indoor seating, that's been, that was very tough. Um, 
So that I think has been really well received. We're getting people to the right locations. We've done some creative things in rentals where we, we take some of our buses that we're not using for transportation and, and running rentals out of them and do a lot more online reservations for rentals. And so your, your boots and bindings are preset or your bindings are preset to your skis and we have them in a bus for you instead of having to go inside the building. So we've done some creative things there to solve problems. And then uh, another thing, just really quick, uh, we've, we've actually had to hire sheriffs just because of the potential animosity about people not being let in the gate um, to go skiing. And so if they don't have a reservation and they want to really be that um, person, that bitches, we just go talk to that sheriff right over there and he'll explain to you why it is what it is. And uh, it's gone really well. We have them on site in case of what I like to fondly recall in the politically incorrect world of mask holes that are not wearing masks properly. And they have a little conversation with the sheriff if uh, they are that big of a mask hole we uh, we get the sheriffs involved and fortunately we're paying them and they're right on site. So it's really cut down on uh, on the abuse uh, that, that our employees are having to take uh, because of mask non-compliant. And we're requiring people to wear a mask as soon as they come into the gate through, you know, in the parking lot. And unless they're in the actual act of skiing downhill or eating something. But I did, we did create some little, you know, kind of warning cards if you will, that uh, we're handing out at lifts um, now for people that, that are non-compliant, especially if they come through the lift line a second time with their mask down. And it's just kind of a warning that says, uh, you know, no mask, lose your pass kind of message. And we have refunded some money and given back some season pass money to people that in my mind's failed attitude test. So we're taking the mask thing very seriously. And, and Boulder is one of those crazy liberal places, one of the crazier liberal places, which is the opposite of Montana. So we're getting pretty good compliance, um, I would say, in, in our efforts. And uh, in, in general, um, we did not take PP and PPP money last time uh, because we're, we're a large, you know, we're owned by powder and kind of a larger group and we're on an icon pass. So that's a little bit different situation. Um, and we have more signage everywhere. You can't come into the resort without seeing signage about masks and six foot distancing. And we, we bought all the NSAA kind of blessed signs early and it's all over the place. So we're getting pretty good compliance. And, and yes, will this be a financial big year for us? No, but we think we can operate and actually make money at the end of the year. It'll be significantly less than what we've done the last three or four years, but we believe if we can get open and stay open the whole year, and, and we've started purposely across our company's portfolio very conservatively, and then hope to add a little bit more as, as time go on. But we wanted to get through the holidays, and so we were very conservative through the holidays. Um, and frankly, it's gone quite well. You had said you said that you um, you, you have your four um, start times for parking. Yes. Has that spread the crowd out through the day? What is if you if you say you have three thousand people there? What's sort of the maximum number at any time of the day? So our our goal was to keep that number less than twenty five hundred at one time, and we've basically kept it way less than two thousand people. So the the busier time, the busiest time of the day, believe it or not, is at about one o'clock, hmm. with the people that arrived at ten or eleven that are still there and haven't left yet. And by 2.30, it's really almost, it's not a problem. 
but our busy time is no longer nine o'clock a.m. where we used to have a thousand people in line at the bottom waiting. We are we have really moved that back and it spread the crowd out over a longer period of time. And it's and frankly, the public is loving it. Um, yeah. Is a big takeaway. I've had I've several people this weekend tell me how how they really like it and they think we should continue that kind of an effort next year because it used to be a a challenge to get into the resort on a peak day. Yeah, I remember. So we've we've been definitely hearing that as a as a common thread of of uh, busier mid and later in the day, and uh, that's been a common thread across all the operators. Yeah. It, the parking thing's gone well, and I mean there were some hiccups early on, but it's it's really mellowed out and doing quite well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Brent, for sharing um, how it's going. Appreciate that. Um, and, you know, coming from Massachusetts, I have often been referred to as a mass hole, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, but I am not a mask hole. So thank you. <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah. Uh, so uh, speaking of mask holes, uh, uh, Joe, <laughs> you, you have some interesting uh stories to tell about what you're seeing in your neck of the woods. Can you share a little bit on that? Yeah, I think you just called me a mask hole. So I've been called a bad skier, a mask hole. I'm having a rough day here on this hole. I'm a mask hole and you're just from Jersey. So <laughs> we, we, we invented assholes in New Jersey. So, <laughs> um, so, so I'll just first say Mountain Creek has had 16 inches of snow so far this year, which puts us 10 inches over last year's entire total. So we are loving the huge amount of snow we have. It's 16 inches, it's already melted. But um, one thing, I'll, I'll jump right to what Olivia asked is the, the anti-maskers. Um, I don't know why we've hit the sensitive butt button to this, and I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but we've definitely found ourselves in the QAnon uh, sphere of lunacy. So um, we have um, basically, and it hasn't been that crazy, but we get about 50 messages, they don't go public, because they don't want to, you know, when they go public on our social media, they get beat up by everyone else and they just kind of give up. But they come across as like these really humble, you know, I'm a mom who has a son who has this. And, and they start by sounding really legit. And I have a kid that has a medical exemption and why can't he come? And then it turns with an instant to here's my rights as an American, all these things, which, you know, every one of them has the same exact bullshit argument, which is just amazing to watch. So um, we've had that. I see Hugh here on the call. He's, uh, he's been fighting the good fight. Uh, I had to talk him off the ledge yesterday because they are very aggressive. Um, they're a little bizarre, but I will tell you, through this whole experience, as dark as that sounds, I can say our executive team has been working the lines at both Big Snow and Mountain Creek Big snow, every, like, it's been a struggle, but people wear masks 99%, no issues. Because it's indoors, I guess that messes with people's heads. It's the outdoor thing that seems to confuse them. Uh, lift lines in Mountain Creek, I will say 95% are awesome. Another 3% on top of that are this. 2% of the population are just horrible human beings. And I, I just wish they would stop skiing because they're just jerks, right? So I, I, hope that, I hope that, you know, whoever takes credit for teaching them to ski, you shouldn't have done that. We're always trying to grow the sport, but that was a bad convert. Karen Dolan, bad convert. Never um, one other quick thing, just talking about Mountain Creek. I, I don't know why, but we've not had the major issues with the phone calls and stuff like that. Um, you know, we're a resort that typically does on a busy day, 10,000 visits. We've scaled that down to under 5,000 um, for the situation we're in. 
Uh, Bob, that's 5,000 on 200 acres of skiing. Um, so it's a little different here in Jersey, but we're, we're used to that. Um, what's interesting is we didn't do a reservation system at all. Um, we, we decided that we were going to limit the amount of passes we sold, seasons passes and this, and, and no offense to all my friends here who are on a part of a big pass or a big piece. It's not easy for me typically at Mountain Creek to compete against Icon and Epic. Um, it is this year though, because basically you can buy a pass for 259 bucks, no reservation, and I can limit the amount of passes. And I know Brent, for example, can't do that because he needs a reservation system because all the people that have Icon passes, uh, if they all decide to go to Eldora one day, he would never be able to handle that. So we're a little lucky this year because we're not on a pass. And basically the only way you can get onto Mountain Creek properties if you have a Mountain Creek pass or triple play, we've basically shifted our entire model to only pre-sold and have started to cap that. And we've been allowing to basically leak in a little bit of rentals and a little bit of go packages and learning packages and day tickets as we found uh, capacity in the day. So we do session times based on 15 minutes for rentals. Uh, one other big benefit we have in Mountain Creek is we haven't had a ticket booth in three years. So it's kind of in our DNA to be able to easily switch switch the way we did that. The, the two other big things I just want to hit on is staffing. I, you know, we, we didn't talk about this, but something that Josh and I have spent a lot of time on uh, when he was up at the resort last week is, you know, we're 10, over 10% unemployment. We can't find anyone to work. We cannot find anyone to work. We have restaurants closed, not due to capacity, not, not anything else, literally because we cannot find people to cook the food. Um, so we're, we're really struggling in that area. Um, we've tried all types of things. Um, you know, our culture is really good. It's not like we're a bunch of mean people, yelling people and stuff like that. Like we're, we have a great culture. We have amazing net promoter scores of our team. And for some reason with the current economic situations, we are having a hard time. And I want to find all my friends in the community who are mad that we bring international students every year and go, why does Mountain Creek do that? You're anti They're the same mask people, by the way, that are yelling about the masks. They're also the ones really mad that I have students from, uh, from Brazil come. Where the hell are they? They're not working. So, you know, so this year I really miss our international friends. I miss uh, hearing the accents around the resort and man, do I wish I could schedule them to work the shifts uh, around would be amazing. Um, and the last thing is just one thing that we've learned from our local police department, and it's, it's really saved our ass big time so far, is um, we now have a Team A, Team B protocol for certain positions around the resort, including ski patrol, because we got hit pretty hard with this at Big Snow. So Big, big Snow has a, a ski patrol team of about eight people. Ends up, they hang out with each other a lot. So we basically put in a rule that Team A, you're not allowed to talk to Team B in or out of work and Team B. So they had to cooperate a little bit. They signed up and went with it. We also have that protocol in place for lift maintenance, all of our management roles. So basically, you know, we have two assistant GMs that operate the Mountain Creek property. They're not allowed to be within each other at all in the event that one of them gets, uh, gets uh, COVID-19, our protocols wouldn't shut the other person out. So Team A, Team B, big dividing wall between the two. Lift maintenance keeps me up at night. What, what happens if you lost your entire crew? So um, we, we've had a lot of success with that um, and a lot of cooperation. And, and, and I think our team has been on top of it. So thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. Was There's some good insights in there as always. And you're always doing things a little bit differently. And so great to hear what, what how it's going for you. 
Um, so thank you for sharing. Next, we're going to hear from Kevin Nichols, who's the president of Ontario Snow Sports Association. Um, as many of you know, um, Ontario ski resorts were forced to close for 28 days, and that started on December 26th. Um, and resorts had have been working closely with local public health organizations and multiple levels of government to try and stay open during the different different levels of lockdown, but um, that changed days before the, the lockdown. So, um, you know, Kevin, we know, we understand time resources have been put into staying open with the tighter restrictions. So how big of an impact did the shutdown make to these resorts and what are they doing in the meantime? How are guests reacting? I've read reports that there's a lot of border crossing. Um, share with us a little bit of where we hope to never go, but uh, a good, a good cautionary tale. Yeah, thanks, Olivia. Um, thanks, everybody. It's great to be on this call. I, I usually uh, try to attend these calls whenever I can. Um, like many of you, if not everyone on the call, we've worked really hard for the last nine months getting ready for what was certainly going to be an unusual winter season. And uh, we felt pretty confident in all the efforts that we, that we embarked upon and what we created. And uh, we worked very closely with our Canada West and the uh, uh, Quebec Skiers Association and Atlantic Canada Skiers Association. And also we were very quick to latch on to the Ski Well, Be Well uh, campaign. So thank you, Kelly and David and all the folks uh, at NSIA that came up with that brilliant um, campaign. Um, so everything was kind of handed off to government and we continued to work as individual resorts with our local health units. Um, and as Olivia mentioned, we were, we were operating. We had everybody that was ready to open, open and running, running up into Christmas season. And then on the 21st, uh, the uh, announcement came down that the province was going into what they consider not a, not a shutdown, but a lockdown. And the lockdown basically means all essential services are, are closed, but they do allow in a lockdown situation, some outdoor recreation facilities to open and we were confident at that point in time on the 21st of December that we were in that group and for some reason um, the provincial government decided at the last minute to pull our uh, designation uh, and not allow us to operate uh, citing that in order to flatten the curve or get the uh, case counts under control they wanted to limit um, people traveling and Ontario is, um, is 15 million people in this province and uh, there's 6 million of them that live in the greater Toronto area. So in the GTA, half of our 50 member ski areas in the province are within an hour and a half to two hours from that population. And that population identifies, there's about 750,000 people that identify as skiers and snowboarders. So I think the government was um, concerned about the amount of travel that would occur. But at the same time, we were shocked because tobogganing and snowmobiling and other winter activities um, were still allowed. So people need to get in their car and travel to some of those venues. And yet we were being singled out. So we have a, the economic impact. I don't need to tell any of you, you know, we, we expected this to be you know, a less than stellar season anyway. Didn't help when we got a beautiful dump of fresh snow on Christmas day and nobody could go skiing. Um, that was bittersweet for sure. Um, 
but we um, we had to furlough or lay off um, 9,000 employees uh, the day before Christmas. That was an extremely emotional time. Um, we figure with ours, you know, we're not, we don't have a lot of big mountains in Ontario. Like our highest vertical is 820 feet. Um, but we're pretty passionate um, little industry here. And, and, you know, I think we're looking at about $90 million in lost revenue and expenses that we spent in good faith while working with our health units to get the proper um, PP, uh, pr pr uh, protective equipment like um, plexiglass barriers and stickers, signage, ticket lists or contactless uh, ticketing, um, contact tracing applications, all kinds of things that, that we spend money on in anticipation that we'd be able to be up and running. Then all of a sudden we're, we're shut down as Olivia mentioned till um, the Southern Ontario, we're as closest to the GTA as I mentioned, as uh, uh, the 23rd of January, we are told we can reopen. Um, and our Northern friends, um, they can open this Saturday but we don't have a clear understanding from our government, uh, provincial government at this time, as to what the metrics are that decide whether or not they want to extend a lockdown. And that's got us all very anxious uh, as we spend money on snowmaking and grooming and prepping um, in hopes to reopen. So we, we're hoping that we'll at least get some notice well in advance if they are going to extend the, the shutdown criteria we just simply don't know yet yeah so it's pretty pretty tough time for us that's tough and i'm sure you are working diligently with all your members to try and communicate and get more information so that um there's more clarity around when you get to reopen yes that's exactly it's it's um you know we've kind of shifted some of our messaging around right now we're starting to focus more on the mental health aspects of not having an outlet for the people who want to get out and ski and snowboard and, yeah. and even tubing is shut down. So, um, yeah, it's a interesting time. Yeah. Um, well, we will keep our fingers crossed for you that things turn around soon and limit, limit the damage here. Um, but thank you for, for sharing that with us and letting us know how it's going. Keep us posted for sure. We're getting down to the end of the hour, but I did want to end on a, on a upbeat note. Um, and Chris um, McGinnis um, with Crystal Mountain Resort, you have some some definite positive surprises um, that would be great to hear before we um, depart here. So um, tell us, you know, you sent me a little bit of the year over year um, and yeah. Well, thank you. And, and first, um, I don't want to say sympathy goes out. You know, our hearts go out to Kevin and the uh, our Ontario neighbors. We feel we feel really, really badly for you. And we can't even welcome you because you can't come across the border. And we can't, you know, we certainly have some restrictions there as well. But I think uh, when you ask what are the surprises, the biggest surprise for us is that the trends are so positive. And we started really late. We started on the 18th of December. So that's really, all of us know here, that's a JIT, just in time. But overall, for the, for the holiday period, and actually for December, um, we're up 8%. And that, I, you know, and I'll get into it just a little bit. 
um, that really doesn't reflect some of the very exciting things that have happened and we're very surprised. Our dated products, so tickets, rental, lessons, and this does not include season passes, that's up about 20%, which is a huge surprise. Uh, visits for the season, and this goes back to the beginning of December, and we opened last year, we actually opened November 15th. Um, so we were skiing in December um, last year, but we're up about 12%. Season pass sales are up 40% um, and advanced purchase. And just like many of you, and we're kind of singing out of a lot of the same hymnal here, um, you know, most of our sales now are advanced purchase. A couple of areas that are significantly down, and we've touched on them, food and beverage. <laughs> and Dan, you're 38%. Our food and beverage is down 50%, but we're still, we're doing fine. I mean, we've got bar shanties outside. We've got all sorts of, again, outside eating. Um, it's uh, opportunities. We've got heaters all over the place. Um, an example, again, this, was, this wasn't really ski season, but <laughs> we did 880 Thanksgiving meals to go. You know, in other words, we had a, a holiday package um, just for the curbside pickup and it, it was very popular, 880. So that's a lot of turkeys. I can't remember how many turkeys it was, but <laughs> I do know it was really, really good. Another positive piece for our business, and we're very excited to see this is Again, our lodging revenue this year, um, and again, this would be for December for the entire month. It's actually equal with last year, even though we only have half the number of days, but we all know most of those days are during ski season. Um, and what else we're very, we're, we're excited about, and I'm seeing it today. I mean, today is the day after the holidays and our um, I, I think our occupancy is 71, 72%. For the season, we're seeing midweek lodging reservations up. And this, this is a trend for January, February, and into, into March. Um, we're really pleased about this ability to spread out some of this occupancy, again, midweek, as opposed to just having the big peaks uh, on the weekends. And you know, I think all of us on this call sure understand that this business is about uh, capacity utilization, and this is going to drive, you know, some profitability. But it also, at the end of the day, um, it, it's going to be a much better guest experience. And not only, you know, are we busy today, but the sun is out, so I can't believe it, but rain is in the forecast. So, you know, who knows? Awesome. Live day by day. Our retail is up about 15%. And that's a very interesting number because a fair amount of it is being driven by new participants, new participants in snow sports, Alpine, but they're also buying cross country. They're buying outdoor um, clothing, soft goods. So we're very excited about that. Um, and they're buying food, um, but we're excited about that retail number. Another number that we never anticipated, people said it might happen. But we really, you know, you don't want to believe it, but our real estate brokerage business is, you know, astronomically um, up uh, and that's up for the year. Um, and, you know, people really are now investing in, in um, I'm going to say, vacation real estate and they're using it more. So we are seeing remote, you know, we're seeing people who've decided, uh, you know, they've decided to live here 
or more, we're seeing people that have more time to be here. The kids are learning remotely. They're, you know, they're working remotely. So they say it, it, uh, it really makes sense uh, for us to have this property. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, a couple of other trends that we've seen and we've talked, you know, I think it's been on this call some, but I'll reiterate, we never knew about the power of sold out. <laughs> You know, we, Bob talked about the, the toilet paper thing, but we're, we, we finally, um, you know, actually decided that we better have the sellout days and this would be for day tickets and this has driven season pass sales. It's also driven lodging sales because people have said, okay, if I want to ski, we have not limited season passes so we're continuing to sell season passes we actually raised the price on it which was pretty exciting we never do that in season um and some people have decided to stay with us if we have availability just so they can get lift tickets so mm -hmm. that has helped immensely we've also added you know the access gates and uh the pickup the pickup boxes which are working beautifully reduced lots of transaction lines um and overall, we're seeing continued excitement again for, uh, I'm just going to say outdoor winter playtime. It's great. People are doing it all. They're Nordic skiing, they're ice skating, fat tire, bike rentals are up, um, and they're even snowshoeing. And Joe, we've got a little bit more snow than you, but not a hell of a lot. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty skimpy. Um, so, and I think for many of us, and when I think about what's our number one takeaway, industry-wide collaboration, it has helped, I, I think all of us, it's helped us to navigate this incredibly, incredibly challenging time. We've also seen this playbook happen at the state level and our Michigan ski industry, um, you know, we've had a task force, we've worked with our public officials and the, the, the state has embraced and I, I wish, you know, Kevin, I wish you had a similar situation on Ontario, in Ontario, but they've really embraced that, um, you know, that, that the uh, snow sports and skiing, that this is an outdoor activity and that it's healthy, it's good for people to be outside, it's good for their physical and mental health. So they've been very supportive of our ability to stay open and our alignment is an industry, both at a national level and at a state level, that's really, um, really helped. So again, there's been the uh, theme, stay healthy to stay open, um, and it's been a strong collaboration. So I think we thank everybody uh, in the industry for all the good work that has made this possible. This winter season has been a whirlwind of ups and downs, and it's not over yet. To be a part of future huddle conversations, stay tuned to www.saminvo.com huddle. And the conversation doesn't end here. You've got questions, we've got answers, or at least we'll help you find the answers. Share your question with us by calling the PodSAM voicemail box at 802-243-0582. Our theme music is by Breaks Master Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Winter Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeev, and thank you for listening to PodSAM. <laughs>